We've got Lauren Honickman joining me here for Case and Point. Lauren is our legal expert here at Global News Radio, and he is also a partner at BTZ Law Firm. Lauren, what a great day uh, to have you in here as well, because this case uh, of this stabbing in downtown Toronto where Rahini uh, Bissasar found not criminally responsible today for the murder of Rosemary Junor is is such an interesting story. Just to recap it, Lauren, for the listeners, it was a few years ago, Rosemary Junor was a young, beautiful, newlywed woman completely minding her own business, shopping in downtown Toronto, and a complete stranger stabbed her in the chest. Uh, Rohini Bisasar was arrested for that, and it was determined fairly quickly that she had a long history of severe mental illness. On Friday, the Crown and the defense jointly agreed that she was in the grip of a psychotic break when the crime happened, and today a judge confirmed that. So Bisasar will be sent not to a correctional facility, but to a psychiatric hospital. And there's a lot of people out there, Lauren, and you well know this, they're going to feel like justice was not served. Uh, and... and everybody when understands the you know, the pushback and and the horror when this happens uh, but we have for a long time in our society and in fact it actually goes back to 1800 uh, the the original act was called the criminal lunatics act it was incorporated into the british criminal code back then with dealing with people who didn't appreciate the nature and consequences of the act of their acts. We had that adopted into our criminal code in 1892. Everybody remembers the not guilty by reason of insanity. That was around for many, many years, and somebody was insane and they were detained to uh, because they just didn't appreciate the nature and consequences of their act. And of course, then back in the early 90s, our criminal code was changed, and this new thing called not criminally responsible, again, because a person is suffering from a mental illness at the time of the commission of the crime, which made it impossible for them to appreciate the nature and consequences of the act. So the law's been there forever, Matt, and it's there for, many will argue, for a good reason, because we don't want to convict people of criminal crimes, of of crimes of criminal nature where you need the intent to do that if they are suffering from a disease of the mind. And in this particular case, as the psychiatrist testified, it was uncontradicted evidence. Uh, it wasn't like a battle of psychiatrists. It was one psychiatrist who both the Crown and the defense agreed with that because of her schizophrenia, she was incapable of knowing the killing was morally and legally wrong. And that's what Justice McMahon said today. And and it's uh, it's for the family of, of the victim, nobody will understand that. You, you could never imagine, uh, or I certainly could never imagine, any, uh, ever understanding something like that and going, well, yeah, okay. But so, so that's, that is understandable. Uh, but we need a system in place. It would be wrong. It would be wrong to have a system where we say if somebody was suffering from the disease of the mind that they would be treated like anybody else in the criminal justice system. You know, and Lauren, and something that was entered into evidence, and again, as you say, this was agreed upon by both the Crown and the defense, was that this was not Ms. Bezosar's first incident like this. She had been involuntarily committed more than once in the past. She had a history of believing that uh, cybernetic technology had been implanted in her body so that people could control her actions. Obviously, she was completely broken from reality here. But Lauren, this is, you know, you know that old cliche, right? I mean, uh, you know, tough cases make for, for hard law or bad right. law, whatever the cliche is. What you're, what you're describing here, Lauren, to me is just a, a textbook example of 
something that we would all agree upon in the abstract right. in, a, in, in a complete hypothetical of course none of us want to be punishing the mentally ill but then you have this beautiful newlywed 28 year old yeah. woman killed in a random attack and all of a sudden whatever our theoretical convictions are we throw them out the window because we want someone to hang for it that's right and it's the same thing of the of that tragic case out, out west uh, with the beheading on the greyhound bus um, and I, uh, the, the, the accused, uh, uh, the name slips my mind at the moment, but the, it's one that one, uh, the officer in downtown Toronto, uh, killed by the man on the, uh, uh, snowplow that yep. night, he was found not criminally responsible. And each one of these cases up to today, you're absolutely right. You know, it, it, you, it, you debate them in law school, you learn about them and, and it all makes sense. But then it becomes real life, and 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 I, and I think that's why um, Justice McMahon, who was a crown attorney for many years, a very very experienced judge, has seen all of this, and and uh, and and had he, he looked at the family, and 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 basically he he said to them, you know, I I wish there was something else I could say to help you, and and because he knows, and but but he had he had no choice, he had to act judicially. Judiciously, because that's exactly what the evidence was, and now this individual uh, is now found not criminally responsible, and she will be managed by review boards, independent tribunals made up of at least five people, uh, and she'll go before the board. Her case will be heard on on a yearly basis, and to determine whether or not um, and how uh, whether she should still be detained uh, with various uh, varying levels of privileges, or she be, should she be released, and if she is released. And uh, and the goal at the end of the day is not to keep her or anybody found not criminally responsible locked up. The goal in the system is to get them to the point where they are are rehabilitated, if they can be, so they can now get back into society. And of course, that is nails on the blackboard for anybody, uh, any victim of crime, any family. And and again, totally understandable. Yeah, no, you're right, and it's something where. We, we can talk in the abstract all we want about why these laws are important, but Lauren, I mean, I, I agree. You don't need to convince me why these laws are important, but when this case happened, I just had that instinctual gut-level reaction of I, I just wanted someone to be punished for it. And I yeah. know it's not mature, but there it is, no. right? It's human nature. Human nature. Human nature and justice, sometimes uh, they don't go together. By the way, I remember the name Vincent Lee. was Vincent Lee, yep, yeah, and uh, cha- changed his name. Will Baker, I think his name is now. Uh, oh, is that right? Yeah, changed his name. I mean, he's released without conditions, okay, with not, not even having to do psychiatric check-ins every once in a while. So he had a, a complete uh, discharge. So, all right, there you go. Yeah. Lauren, I want to ask you about this one. This is coming out of Saskatchewan, um, which is not normally the news driver of this federation no. of ours, but <laughs> today they've had a big story going on. It's called Claire's Law. It would be something that would allow uh, people who suspect that their romantic partner, their intimate partner, might have a violent history right. to communicate with the police. The police are not under an obligation to disclose, but they would have the option legally to disclose to someone whether or not that person, their romantic partner, did have a history of reports of violence. Interesting stuff. It's a first for Canada. Yeah. It's, to me, it's legally interesting, but I, I just tend to think, Lauren, this is going to fall down on the grounds of logistics. I just can't imagine people who are stuck in abusive relationships 
are going to necessarily think they'll pick up the phone and make that call. Yeah, well, the idea, of course, behind the law, Matt, started uh, in Britain after uh, this woman, Claire Wood, was murdered by her former boyfriend, and Wood was unaware of her partner's violent past. And and after her death, her father advocated for more disclosure from police, and that's where it came from. So, I mean, right now, you can't get that information. Uh, criminal records, believe it or not, are confidential, and they can't be shared without consent, although... Uh, the, the media reports on it all the time. You'll, you know, a lot of times that'll happen. They'll say somebody will get charged, and they'll take a look and say, "Oh yeah, look at that. He was charged before." But so you would think that there would be, um, it wouldn't be that hard. And but you're absolutely right. There, there will be pushback. There will be people will be talking about privacy. But at the end of the day, again, it's what we love to do in Canadian laws. We love to get the judicial scales out and start balancing, and saying, "Well, look, well maybe if this is going to at the, you know, at the end of it all." protect somebody so they have some idea about it. Um, you know, in Saskatchewan, apparently Saskatchewan has the highest rate of police reported interpersonal and domestic violence in the country. Uh, so maybe that's why they're looking at it and saying that um, uh, it, it, it might work. But uh, I, uh, there's no doubt that uh, it will be challenged. The, the law is, is ripe for challenging when you start uh, uh, allowing the police to release what may be termed confidential information. And you can hear the argument on the other side. Well, look, criminal record, you got yourself a criminal record. Uh, you've given up your right to privacy with respect to your criminal past. And, uh, and it's fair game for everybody to get it, especially somebody who may be concerned because they're now entering into a relationship with you. By the way, you know, I don't even want to get into the family law aspects about that. You know, people mm -hmm. getting together and saying, hey, yeah, let's I'm okay with this. I just checked on you, and you're you're clean. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, know, you did what? You check? You called the police about me? Oh yeah, just routine background check before we hit fourth date. It was time to do yeah. a background check. It's like it's like applying for a job and just doing a background <laughs> check. Yeah. Well, Lauren, it's interesting. In a different context, I, I was writing about this uh, here at GlobalNews.ca recently. Every five years, as a, as a firearms owner under Canadian law, I need to renew my license. My wife has to sign off on my license renewal application because that's baked into the law. Whatever rights I might have are are partially signed away. So I know it's not exactly the same example here, but there is some precedent for at least laws like this. Her approval was necessary for my application to be processed, and this is just for a renewal. And, and, and when you say that, um, it makes total sense. I like it. Yep. Uh, because obviously the, the the person who may have the most important uh, knowledge about your any potential behavior issues or or whatever would be the your spouse and uh, so I I have no problem with that but and I take it you have no problem with it either no and neither did she which is the most important thing from the application perspective Lauren yeah. <laughs> good to talk to you as always man gotta let you go but okay. appreciate the time talk to you soon Matt all take right care. take care Lauren Honickman legal expert here at Global News Radio and a partner at BTZ Law.